Before we start, a quick warning: this episode contains adult content. We're talking about swear words, so if you're not ready for that, pause here and take a break now. You're listening from the Wallflowers, a weekly podcast on everything about mental health stories, all based in Hong Kong. I'm your host Jasmine. We're dividing the topic of anxiety into two, and welcome to the first week. How would you describe being nervous? Butterflies in the stomach is one of the early phrases that I could think of when I was a kid. I was very intrigued by this idea because I felt like, oh, mom, butterflies are beautiful. Why would I have to trap them inside my stomach? My stomach doesn't look good, anyways. But in reality, what butterfly means is that a fluttery feeling in your stomach. So. It starts off with an external factor that can be a job interview. Maybe it activates your nerves and triggers your brain to secrete a hormone called adrenaline. This special hormone can hype up your heart rate and blood pressure, so as to make more blood being transferred to your muscles. Adrenaline is useful for fight or flight situation. When more blood gets into your muscles. You can either make an escape, run, or have a self-defense on the spot. While some body parts receive more blood, other parts of the body receive less blood. For example, the stomach. So that's why you always have some stirring feeling inside your stomach when you get nervous. I'm used to growing up in a family with tough people. When I was a kid, I always aspired to be like my mom. She is so strong, and she has that fighting spirit in her blood. One example I could think of is that I'm so afraid of having injection. Whenever a needle gets inside my skin, I don't really like describing, but yeah, it really touches my nerves. My mom at this time would say, like, "Yeah, I'm also afraid of getting injection." But because that you're afraid of getting that, you should really look how the nurse prepares for you. When I kicked off to have some kind of mental breakdowns recent years, I start to wonder: Is it necessary for us to overcome every challenge you have in your life? Anxiety deserves some medical attention when things get really worse. By worse, I mean it exhibits in both physical and mental forms. Anxiety can normally be categorized into five major types. We're going to talk about three types of anxiety today. First one, generalized anxiety disorder. This means when people are overly worried about everyday life events, and somehow these affect their daily functions. This can happen when you are waiting for a bus, very anxious whether it comes on time or not. Or simply, you're taking an elevator to the top floor in a shopping mall, which I'm very anxious that the elevator would stop sometime, and everyone will be in complete shock, and somebody will fall over, and somebody has to die. Second type is social anxiety disorder, which I'm really familiar with. It means that somebody has an intensive fear of being watched or judged by others. I didn't realize I have this social anxiety on my own. I was told by my friends. 
back in two years in May. I was having a brunch with my friend on a Saturday. After that, my mom called and said my dad had a stroke and he was admitted to the hospital right away. Just a brief background, my dad um, had a camel therapy 20 years ago and possibly because he's aging and the drugs back then were not well developed. So the blood vessels that breaches the brain and the body shrinked a bit and decreased the volume of blood to the brain results in something called mini stroke or technically it's called transient ischemic attack TIA. Hong Kong Public Hospital is really cramped. I'm saying that patients have their bed at the corridors outside the wards. My dad was hospitalized along the corridors and we could see doctors rushing around with the folders, the blood pressure monitors beeping everywhere and patients around were just yelling for attention. Obviously, at this situation when you receive a sudden bad news, you would feel anxious emotionally, you're expressed in fear, you're expressed in tears. That's a more direct form. In fact, I was jiggling at the hallway, like laughing in an uncontrollable way. I later talked to my friends about this and we found that something was wrong here. I'm not saying you are supposed to be worried at that moment, but how I expressed was that I was laughing to get a sense of relief, downplaying my nervousness. I felt shy from talking and I felt people would worry about me and that's why I chose laughing as my form of expression even though it didn't mean happiness at that time. And somehow my relatives, my friends or even strangers would always compliment me that I had a radiant smile on my face and you're such a cheerful girl Jasmine. And these sort of comment reinforced my idea to have nervous laughter when I get anxious. I found the way of recovery is to understand the meaning of happiness. There are no guidebooks for telling you what you should be feeling at times of different situations. So the third type of anxiety we're talking about today is obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. To cut it short, I talked to my friend, Lily Upon Avion. She is an accountant at a local business company in Hong Kong. She picked this name because that's her favorite perfume. And a little remark, this is not her real name, not her real voice but her real story about OCD. I've known you for around two years in the States when we were having the same program um, overseas. I remember you experienced some sort of anxiety when we were hanging out in DC. So can you talk about that? Back then, I was having anxiety about my relationship problems and I was struggling whether I should give up the relationship or whether I should like maintain this this relationship while having a, a very bad relationship with my family because um, my mom is a very controlling person and I cried every night and it worsens to the extent that I have to visit a doctor when I'm back in Hong Kong. I really think that OCD is chronic and it is something that you can't really control it 
like 100% by your own like endurance or by your own patience. Like, like to some extent, you really have to seek medical help for that. So recently, are there any entrance problems that you would like to share with us? Also, um, basically, I've been fine for around a year, and then like for the recent half year, I have another anxiety problem, which is OCD. It's obsessive compulsive disorder. The triggering point is also about relationships. Three years back then, I've taken some neat selfies with my overseas boyfriend, and it didn't have my face in it. But then after we broke up, I had a bad dream um, that he spreads out my photos. <laughs> and then I, I, I lost my job, and my friends don't like me, and all that. And starting from then onwards, I was really anxious about this hypothetical scenario that my new photos may be out in the world and I'll be judged. So I've been call contacting my ex like repeatedly for around a year, like always seeking reassurance from him that he won't leak them out and like it's really, really extreme. I think it's interesting because no one has ever talked about OCD in these podcasts. For me, <clears throat> I also share some OCD, like on the streets I would I would think of pushing people out to the streets and being crashed by cars constantly, especially for toddlers. <laughs> or let's say in the dining room, there's knife on our table. I would think that I should use the knife to stab myself. Back to the story, how could you deal with it? Like, did you manage to get back the photos or any sort of way trying to calm your anxiety about that? I did a lot of extra steps. So firstly, one is external. Um, so externally, I contacted my then boyfriend. And I made him reassure me over and over again that he's not going to spread them. And then I made him send me his old computer and old phone. And I just used like 5,000 Hong Kong dollars to purchase like two pieces of garbage. And then he sent me from US. And then once I received the computer and the phone, I just like dumped it in water. And then I recorded the whole process just to make sure and reassure myself that all of the photos and all the evidences were destroyed. And then I just kept all the corpses of those computers. <laughs> yeah, the corpses are still at my home because I don't want to risk them being in public or anything. I mean, I trust him. I know that he's a decent guy, but there's something wrong with me. But he helped me, you know, like he proves that he's a decent guy by, by doing all these things. <laughs> you know, by helping me like three years after breaking up. <laughs> and I'm forever grateful to him. I would even tell my friends that Melina Trump was a soft porn star before and then she could be like Mrs. First Lady of the United States. So I, I could actually be a, like a junior professional in Hong Kong or something, like just to reassure myself. So after you got those external and internal reassurance, then what's now? Um, so I got to the point that even all these external and internal reassurances can't help me. And then I think like coupled with the pressure about like starting work as a junior, the situation worsened. Like what if it gets leaks and then like what if the company and my boss doesn't like me? Like what if I get fired and all that? So it, it worsened to the point that I started crying and I told my parents and my parents said like, oh, because you have a history of like being anxious and depressed, uh, you need to see the doctor. So I went to see a doctor half a year ago and um, I started taking medication. I remember that when we were in DC, you sort of had some um, irrational fears. Can you tell us more about that? So 
Whenever I'm anxious about relationships, my anxiety actually realizes it's itself not directly about the relationship issue but about other things. So say for example the OCD issue about the nude photos. And when I was back in DC, it realizes in the form of me worrying about my my external appearances. So I was worried that I would lose all my hair like overnight. <laughs> Yeah, and I've actually ordered some kind of like vitamin D's like online just to eat, you know, it's called like the gummy bear hair supplement something something and I just like ordered it online and I just ate like the whole can. I think being an OCD patient, I will get really offended whenever people say, oh, you're so OCD, you're being so extra, then how would you feel about that whenever people comment on you like, yeah, you're just like thinking too much? Um, so... For all OCD people, we all have the trait of, you know, like wanting to know more about yourself and wanting to know the root of every problem in the world. So I just research about OCD by myself since a very young age. <laughs> so maybe that's another form of OCD, I don't know. But, but I just, you know, like educate myself about OCD. And then luckily, my parents love me so much. And they would also like teach me what OCD is. And then my psychiatrist would explain to me that uh, OCD is actually not a problem and you can't control about it and you shouldn't feel shameful about it. And how about at a workplace when you suddenly have this OCD in your mind and how could you manage it? Um, so my lucky situation is that I have a friend whom I'm really close with since uni and she's from an organization that's really open-minded. So she knows about the problem like before we even started working. And um, she is my safe harbor. Like every time I got anxious in the workplace, I would just ask her and then she would use a really humorous and a really relaxed tone to reassure me that there's nothing wrong. And she really helps me a lot. Like she would say funny things like, oh, even if they got leaked, like look at how fat you are. Like it will never even occupy a space in the corner of porn site or something, or maybe there are only like two views. Or if you want to like, who, like who are you? You're not even famous. Or if you want the whole Hong Kong to know about it, maybe you have to buy the advertisement board of like Bank of China, Hong Kong, and to self-publicize it on Facebook or something in order to get like two views, like something like that. Have you ever told your boss about you have OCD problems? Oh no, of course not. Like I work in a business profession, like accounting that is very conservative. And I, I don't think it's, I think in, in Hong Kong society, it's still not, you know, open enough for employees, especially juniors, to show their weak side to their bosses. I know that if I share it with her, there would be consequences with my job, like with how she evaluates me and about like how, how she'll like grade me for my work performance and all that. So it's all because of practical concerns. But if she's just like an old friend of mine, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't care about like sharing the problem with her. You know, like if you get a cold, you can call for a day off, but yeah, you're crying on your bed and you cannot get out of your bed. It's something that you slightly difficult to explain. You've been working in Hong Kong for like half a year. Do you think that Hong Kong has a culture of acceptance in terms of workplace? Oh, definitely not. Like, I think for Hong Kong people, we have a culture of being very practical. We we need to be very efficient and anything that will come into the way of you delivering your job well or you performing well uh, will be a hindrance on, on your career. And we have a instant noodle culture. We, we choose to disregard unhappy things and we just focus on temporary happiness and temporary success and everything has to be efficient. So anything that would 
require time and understanding. I don't think Hong Kong has such an accepting culture for that. I haven't joined the workforce in society in a full-time way, but I did part-times interns during my four-year study. I have two cases to talk about. At first, I was in a more international news organization, and my boss was a foreigner. To me, it felt like I really could talk about my problems in case I've got any emergency. And the whole environment there was very welcoming. And if you got any problems, she just told me you could tell them right away. And yeah, it'll be fine. No judgment there. After I had that intern, I moved on to a Chinese news organization. I've got several episodes of anxiety when I started off the work. I wasn't sure whether I could live up the demands, and that a thing that I worked on was a relative new thing to me. And in the end, I didn't tell my bosses there that I needed day off because of my anxiety. Rather, I would say, "Oh, I caught a flu, and I needed a sick leave for that." In comparing the West way and East way of workplace, I feel more surrounded by Chinese because I thought they were bound to judge me on my mental health problems. I was afraid that they would say, "Oh, everyone has their own mental health problem, and it doesn't mean that you've got that privilege to have a day off or whatever." So that's how I felt. Back in 2017, the theme of the World Mental Health Day, established by the World Health Organization (WHO), was mental health in the workplace. In Hong Kong, we actually ranked as a top city to have the longest weekly working hours among 71 cities worldwide, according to a survey by the Swiss banking giant UBS in 2016. Hong Kong, just like other Asian Pacific cities, we have a relative toxic work environment compared to the West. There is a strong competitive culture. It's acceptable to have excessive demands from our employers, and most importantly. The relationship between employer and employee exists in some kind of hierarchy, and there is only one way of communication from top to the bottom. The craziest person I've ever met in the working field was my cousin. She worked in a business field, and she worked nine a.m. in the morning till four a.m. of the next morning. Then, yeah, she took a taxi back home, maybe nap a bit. Then off to work again at nine a.m. on time. So rather than having a political stance for the podcast, I'll leave you guys with a question: Can legislation of monitoring working hours be a fundamental change of a deep-rooted culture, or what can be done to improve the situation? If you have been affected by anything we talked about, please call the Samaritans at twenty-eight ninety-six four zeros. That's a Hong Kong number, and you can also go to their website at samaritans.org or just talk to your friends and family. Trust me, they're always there for you. From the Wallflowers is a weekly podcast produced by myself, Jasmine Lowe, and credits to our Lily upon Avon and her great company with me in DC a few years ago. See you next week. <laughs>